This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor Mike Miller teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. If you have your Bible today, turn to Matthew chapter 14. I encourage you, we're a church that loves our Bible. Bring your Bible to church. If it's a glow-in-the-dark Bible, an iPhone, an iPad. Uh, I happen to like uh, paper. I like the sound of turning paper in my Bible. Uh, But you need to know that Nova is a church that loves our Bible. And if you didn't have a Bible, we're going to put it on the screen behind us. But we encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start reading in verse 22 in just a moment. But... I really felt, I'm not, the, I'm, we're new at this lead pastoring thing, and, and we may get into a place where we put themes over years, and I've seen churches do that, and I love that. We didn't put a theme over this year, but in my heart, I felt like the theme for this year is courage. And that sounds really tweetable and Instagrammable and promotional, but to be honest, I think if there's something maybe we struggle with on the East Coast, or maybe even as Canadians, it's courage. Somehow we see courage as pride, and we resist pride as a culture. We're that culture. We don't want to think that we're something that we're not. But I really believe courage needs to come into our church. I believe courage needs to come into our marriages and our singleness and our families and our businesses and into our faith community. Courage to step out. And I believe if we're going to do anything for God, there needs to be a boldness and a braveness on our lives. I want to encourage you. I believe courage is a, is a theme for our lives. I believe it's for our church to take new ground, to break new ground and old ceilings. People said things can't be done. I believe God's calling us to challenge that. No, no, just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. Because once it's done, they'll say that's how it was done. And we can create a new ceiling for our children and the next generation. I honestly believe our ceiling will be their floor. Can someone say amen? I believe relationally my kids will have a better marriage. I believe financially they'll be better with their finances. I believe spiritually they'll connect with God and be more faith-filled than I was. I believe courage, we can break some new ground. Can someone say amen today? And I believe that for our lives. Today I want to speak into this a little bit. Matthew chapter 14, I'm going to start reading in verse 20 there, 22. If you're there, say hey. If you're waiting for the screen behind me, say hey, hey. Of course. There's <laughs> All right, my screen people, I love you so much. Uh, we're going to start reading here in verse 22. It says, immediately after this, Jesus has just done a miracle, taught some people. He was really showing his power and his divinity. He really, he fed people both spiritually and physically. And then in verse 22, it says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. Well, he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills to pray by him, Self. Night fell when he was there alone. I just had this thought, Jesus was alone with no flashlight. That's awesome. That's in the wilderness with animals. Awesome. Uh, he was definitely an outdoor guy, okay? Uh, just, I just pictured that, and I got, I got scared a little bit just thinking that. Verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land. I think it's important to know this, that these, most of the disciples were fishermen. So they weren't just indoor guys trying to be outdoor guys. These were men... Uh, my grandfather was a lobster fisherman his whole life. I've seen uh, fishermen up close, and uh, they, they embody braveness and courage, and they're most at home on the water. So for these disciples to be in a bad place, it says they were in trouble. You know that the storm had to be quite bad. It says they were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. That's right. And it wasn't even like Canada. It wasn't even like frozen ice. That was like unfrozen water. Walking on the water. When the disciples saw him on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. 
But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, if I was God, I would have started with, ooh, if it was me. But I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> but I'm not. But he said, don't be afraid. Probably a better answer. Uh, that's why uh, he's God. He said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Take courage. I am here. Take courage. Interesting. Take courage. It's a choice. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come across. I'm just thinking, if it wasn't God, you think he was not going to tell him? You know what I'm saying? Like, if it was someone playing a trick, they would still say that. Anyway, I just, Peter wasn't the smartest. If it's really you, right? If it's really you, tell me to come walking on the water. Verse 29, yes, come, Jesus said. This morning, for the next few minutes, I want to talk on this title for our kids, our teenagers, for moms and dads, for adults, and this title is Seat Behind Me, Heads up, heads up. If you're taking notes today, write this down somewhere. Heads up, that's gonna be our title and our thought for just the next few minutes before we worship together as a church family. Can we pray one more time? Can you bow your head just for a moment? Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you that we can take courage today. And I pray today, God, the goal is clear that we leave here, that we take courage. Wherever there's deficiency in our life, Lord, I'm praying for our church. If there is a lack of hope today, hope, it, there's a lack of hope in our community and culture. Father, we take hope today. Would you be our hope today? Whatever we need today in this place, Father, would you fill us with that? If it's courage, if it's hope, if it's joy, if it's peace, if it's healing. God, I pray today that you would minister to us. And our goal today is very clear to leave here, no matter where we are in our journey of knowing you, more in love with you and more hungry to know your plan for our life. Father, thank you for this amazing church. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. I'm aware more than ever as I'm raising a teenager and a 12-year-old that my life is impacting them. It's funny, I'm never out of material for preaching or illustrations because I have kids. And now that I have a teenager, I had this proud moment last night. My son walked by me. He went to the fridge. He pulled out a Perrier for himself. He's like, hey, Dad, you want a Perrier? I'm like, I want a Perrier. And he threw it across the room. I caught it. He walked away as only he can, very cool. He said, love you. I'm like, I love you too. At that moment, I was like, this is my son who I'm well pleased. He just went and got me a drink from the fridge, told me he loved me, and he did it with style. I was like, oh, I love being a dad. But I'm aware that I'm impacting my kids in ways that I'm not aware of. There are things that I don't do because my parents did. For example, I love my dad, but I will never, you'll never see me with a toothpick in my mouth because my father always had a toothpick in his mouth. And for some reason, I just feel like my father with a toothpick, so I won't. Is that strange? I don't know. Do you have to? I, I realize that there's things I do do because my parents did them. Parenting is both, uh, they, they, they both, it's both taught and caught. There's some things you teach your kids, and there's some things they catch. That's why today's an all-in service, and I want to encourage you parents, some of the things that we can teach them to worship, but to be honest, our kids need to see us worshiping. Sometimes they catch things, they, it, they, it's caught more than it's taught. I learned to worship by seeing my parents worship. I learned to treat people the way my parents treat people. And, but I realized my kids, as a parent, that my kids are catching things that that, that I, maybe I'm not even aware of. And that, that actually sobers me up because I'm realizing that everything I do, they're, they're, it's being taught and caught. And even the parts of my personality and my character and my life I'm not proud of, I know it's influencing them. Isn't it sobering as a parent? Very sobering. They, they get the real you, not the one that shows up at meetings at church. Come on, somebody. On the way to church is the most realest you you'll ever be. 
kids, you're trying to get that kid's hair down with spit because you got out of the house at the last minute. You're throwing back cliff bars and what chocolate bars and mints. I didn't brush my teeth. Take a piece of gum, right? Some of you are like, kids, start drinking coffee from the cafe because you're, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's what, like the real you is what you're like on the way to church. And then you get out of church, you're like, all right, we're good, right? Even the parts of me I'm not proud of, I realize my kids are catching, like, one of my jobs in, in the house, I have a lot of jobs, but one of my jobs is take out the green bin. Now, you've heard me share on this. This is something I'm not, I'm not good at. The compost bin. How many know what I'm talking about? Our first fight married was over the green bin. 19 years ago, there's still, I don't, I just gave up now. I just submit and just, but the green, it's gross. It's just gross. Why, like I understand saving the, saving the planet, but really, it's really gross. I mean, how many do you know I'm talking about? There's, it's, it's gross and it's small and, oh, the past just sticks to the bottom. You got to get that out. Anyway, I hate the green bin. I just, it's one of my, and see, the problem is we live in the middle of nowhere uh, in the country, uh, and like the green bin is like the watering hole for animals. I've been to Africa, I've been on the Serengeti, I've been to Masai Mara, and there's watering hole, and that's where the really big animals go, is where there's water. In Beaverbank, where I live in the country, the green bin is the watering hole, which if you want to know where there's animals, go find a green bin. There will be animals there. So my job is to take the green bin out to out the small green. There's multiple green bins. The small green bin to the big green bin. And I start, I have a couple steps in this process. The first step I do is I look through the window at the green bin before I go out to see if I see anything moving. Some of you are judging me, but the special forces and police officers are rolling their eyes right now. And, but I look through the window first. I give it a minute just to see if I catch them in their natural habitat. Anything moving right there? I do this, and then I open the door and go out, and I get halfway across the driveway, and I stop. I look back to see if Nancy's watching me or the kids, and then I pick up rocks, and I start throwing at the green bin. This is the process every single time. And I may try to hide it, but this is what I do, and I try to hit the green bin to see if anything moves, it shakes, and runs. This week, I'm going to the green bin, and I get out there, and it's windy, and it's cold, it's dark. You know, there's, there's wild animals in Beaverbank. There are, like, squirrels that will take your face off. There are... There are bobcats out there, proven. There are coyotes and dinosaurs. There's all these animals out in Beaverbank. And I get out to the green bin, and I see that there's, there's a hole eaten through the plastic where something ate its way into the green bin. Like, that, that, that will, that'll scare a man right there. And I thought, then I, I have questions at this point. What kind of animal would eat through plastic? And I look on the other side. The other side has a hole. Now I know there's two animals. I'm thinking, are they in the green bin? Is there now a family in the green bin? Is this now a herd of things in the green? Is there a gaggle of geese? What is in this green bin? So then I get to the green bin, and I realize on the way there, I froze. And now at this point, I'm thinking, Nancy's watching me. It's probably on Instagram as I speak. And I know, I'm, and I know the kids, they're mocking me inside. Look at Dad. Watch Dad. Watch. And I'm froze in the driveway between home and the green bin. I'm frozen in fear. I'm not proud of the fact that my kids mock me for the green bin. I'm trying to overcome that by getting them to take the stuff to the green bin. <laughs> Josh, Maddie, green bin time. They go together, they hold hands, and they pray the whole time, right? <laughs> they pray heads of protection around the green bin as they go. But fear, I, I, I realize the thing about fear is that fear freezes us. That's the goal of fear. And I want to let you know that God made our life to be overflowing in purpose. You need to know today, whoever you are, no matter if you're a guest or this is your latest time, that, that, that God has a plan for your life to overflow. 
in purpose, in hope, in joy. The Bible says he's given us life and life more abundantly. There is this whole culture of surviving, but God's called us to thrive. There's this culture of live for the weekend or live for vacation or live for retirement and all those things are good, but I don't want to endure my life. I want to enjoy my life. I believe God has made it said, I want you to have life and life more abundantly. I believe there is an abundance of joy available. I believe there's an abundance of hope available. I believe there's an abundance of peace available. I believe there's an abundance of grace and of power available. But there's this tension in the middle of this that fear keeps us from moving forward. So many times I hear people say, I'm just a little scared to do that. I don't know if I'd be good at that. I don't know if they would reopen to that. I don't know if I'm qualified for that. And this year of courage that I feel on our church and I feel on our lives corporately, I feel that fear is a factor more than ever. It might manifest with, I'm really, I have a lot of anxiety about that. I'm really tense about that. I'm overwhelmed with this situation. Words that used to be in our vocabulary as 40-year-olds, now I see 12-year-olds saying, I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I, I have anxiety about this. I'm panicking about this. I really believe fear is a factor in our lives. And the goal of fear is to freeze us. And the bigger, more important issue is where is fear a factor? Maybe it's relationships, past and present. Maybe it's in your faith. Some of you are afraid to move forward in your faith. You're not sure what's going on with you and God and if you really belong here and in this moment. Some of you, it's with your purpose. Maybe it's with your future, but fear freezes you. In the story I read today, the disciples are in this, this boat. They're out at, in the lake on the water, and it says at this point they are frozen with fear. They don't know what to do. They are, they are in a bad place. They don't know whether to raise the sail or lower the sail. They don't know to turn back or go forward, and they're in a rock and a hard place. They are frozen with fear. Fear freezes us. That's fear's mission. The fears are different in this place. It might not just be something silly like the green bin. It might be a relational, it might be vocational, it might be something bigger, but the goal of fear is always the same and fear's mission is to stop us. Kids, you would have fears today. I'm not talking about healthy fears like heights and squirrels, those are healthy fears. I'm talking bigger fears of I don't know if I can go for that team, I don't know if that person's going to accept me, I don't know parents if I can go for that promotion, I don't know if I belong in this community, but fear's mission is always the same, it's to stop you. And what happens is, is we start thinking so many what ifs, it's called the paralysis of analysis. Am I the only one that overthinks in this room? You know what I'm talking about? You're driving, but you're having a thousand conversations in your head. You're sitting home and everybody else is chilling, but you're thinking about that meeting that has to happen next week and the what ifs, what if they say this and what if they don't give me that and what if I fail here and the what ifs and we talk so many what ifs and we analyze it so much, we have the paralysis of analysis. There's so much fear in our mind, it freezes us from moving forward. I want to encourage you today, God's called us to keep moving. God's called us to move on. God's called us to have courage in our lives, and I believe we can have it today. We try to fix problems. We try to fix symptoms, but ignore problems, don't we? This time of year, it seems like everybody's got sickness, right? Like, it's going through houses. Like, houses get wiped out with runny noses and flus and fevers, and you start feeling something coming. I'm on more vitamins than I can take right now. I got vitamins for everything taken in. But what happens is, you get a runny nose, what's the first thing we do? We, we treat the symptom, we go get some NyQuil. I need to sleep, I need to take some 
Tylenol Advil, uh, Tylenol nighttime or Advil nighttime. I need to treat the symptom. And we do this, don't we? If I'm feeling tired, I just need some more caffeine. And we treat the symptoms, but we ignore the problem. I've realized in my life, at some point, I got to ignore the symptom and go eat a carrot. I got to deal with the problem. I need to watch what I'm eating. I got to deal with some exercise. Why? Because we spend so much time on the symptoms. Billions of dollars nationally treating symptoms, but we ignore the problem. And so many times we're like, I just need a break, my fear. I need a break. I need to take a moment and just step back. And I just need to walk away from this and ignore this. And we treat this, I just need, I just need to maybe just get, get, get into a higher space. I just need to get in a more chill space. I just need to, and we deal with the symptoms, but maybe God wants us to deal with the problem. What does the Bible speak about fear? I want to just unpack this a little bit. I believe that to change the outside, we need to change the inside. What goes in must come out. It's the truth. You are what you eat, but at the same time, to change the outside, I believe God wants us to address the inside because what's inside will come out. The Bible speaks on the subject of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7. If you have your Bible, if you can turn there. I'm just going to sit there for a minute today. The disciples were froze with fear. And Jesus said, take courage. It's a choice to take courage. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says it this way. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. But can you say this with me? Can we read this together? But of power, love, and of self-discipline. Another version says sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of law, power, love, and self-discipline. Today, I want to unpack this real quick today as we're about to worship. But I want to encourage you, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us his spirit. The spirit of a man is what fills a man. And you can have a spirit of fear. You can have a spirit of, uh, of, 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 fear, uh, of timidity. You can have a spirit of judgment. You can have a spirit of lust. You can have a lot of spirits. But God said in his scripture, listen, the symptoms are all around. But let's deal with the inside of us. Let's deal with the problem. Listen, I've not given you a spirit of fear. Culture wants to give us a spirit of fear. Did you hear what's happening in the government? Did you hear about those job cuts coming? I don't know about the environment, what's going on. I know Moncton's getting snow, but so are we. Something's really wrong. Something's <laughs> happening. And a culture of fear starts to breed. I want to encourage you today that God wants to fill us with his spirit. The Bible says that Jesus said, God said, I didn't give you a spirit of fear, but my spirit. Let me unpack what he said. He said, first thing he said is, it's a spirit of love. Now that word love, the, the original word when they wrote it was the word agape. And without going too deep into it, that word actually means goodwill. It means good intentions, good action, good behavior uh, towards God and towards people. That's what that love means. It's not about getting, it's about giving. That when God puts his spirit in us, his spirit that fills us. Listen, I believe that fear is a factor in your life today. If you're in your marriage going, I can't try that again. I can't, uh, I can't reach out again and break that divide in our marriage. Maybe it's in your a relationship. You think it's too far gone. We can't repair this. Or maybe it's courage to step out and try something new. Maybe it's in your job or your calling. I honestly believe that fear is the factor. The difference is, is what's inside of us will determine what comes out of us. It says his spirit is love. Love is unity. Oh, that's a buzzword around churches. Unity. It's loving each other. It's forgiving each other. Listen, I want forgiveness, but sometimes it's hard to forgive someone else. I want forgiveness, 
But sometimes to forgive someone when they don't deserve it, they're not looking for it, they don't want it, they don't even seem like they're interested in it, but that's what this love, this spirit of love is. And unity is loving each other, forgiving each other, making room for the mess that is people. You need to know if this is your first time at our church that we love people, but people are messy. So Nova Church is messy at times. Sometimes we offend each other. No one look around at anybody else in this room right now. Sometimes people leave here crying because of something someone else said to each other. But sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we build amazing memories more times than not. But listen, the messiness of people. Love is saying, I'm looking past your messiness. That's what unity is. It's preferring others over themselves. Listen, there is a power that comes from unity that we won't get from social media or promotion or production or singing or preaching. There is a power found in unity. Listen, it's the stuff they write songs about and write books about. Something happens. What I love about our church is that there's a unity in our church going, we're going to do something. We're going to make a difference. We're not perfect. We're a bunch of imperfect people serving a perfect God. Wanting to tell, we're a bunch of nobodies telling everybody about somebody that helped us and there's a unity around this. That's why we're moving parking spots to make more room for you. That's why we help in all ministries from kids junior to kids to, to the worship team to the cafe. Why? Because we believe there's something happening here. And if we can do our part, God will do his part. And his part is something that is beautiful. But when he fills you with his spirit, it's a love for others and a love for God. See, the spirit of fear says people are going to disappoint you. Have you felt that yet? I'm not going to walk across the room and shake their hand because I just got a feeling they don't like me. I'm not going to invite them out to lunch. I'm not going to pour my heart out. I'm not going to invite them into my circle of life uh, because I've been disappointed. Fear says people disappoint you, push them away. The spirit of God says love them anyway and lean in. It's a different spirit. It's a different spirit. The other thing it says is that the spirit of God, not a spirit of fear, it's a spirit of power. I like this one. Push up and be aggressive. I like this one. If you're here last week, that's my wife's favorite saying. Push up. And be aggressive. I like the idea of power. This word means miraculous power and strength. Not man-made power. It's miraculous power and strength. It's a promise of power. Our lives were meant to be supernatural. I've never seen a culture in my years more fascinated with supernatural. More TV shows, more movies. It's all about, I've never seen more superhero movies. Come on, somebody. Like, there's, there's, there's green superheroes. There's every type of superhero. There are things with hammers and smashing things. and laser. Why? We're fascinated with supernatural. Why? We're fascinated with Peter Parker, and we're fascinated with these superheroes, that they're natural, everyday people, but all of a sudden something amazing happens. They fall into some, chemical, some chemicals, or they get bit by a spider, or an asteroid hits them or something, and now they're supernatural. You need to know today the promise of his spirit is that we are supernatural. That means Jesus plus us is supernatural. He is the super, we are the natural, and together we can have supernatural power. I believe that, that the spirit that fills us is a life of power, powerful peace. Natural peace says, I have peace as long as my bills are paid, my kids aren't high, come on somebody, my marriage is okay, I can have peace. But supernatural peace is the kind of peace that passes understanding, that doesn't make sense, that seems like things are falling apart, but in the middle of it, there's a calmness to your life, that is supernatural peace. I believe that is the inheritance and the promise for all believers. Power over, emotion, over emotions. I love my emotions, but when they rule my life, I get in trouble. I'm, I can be happy, sad. I can feel a hope and be depressed in the same hour. Come on, somebody. But I believe we can have power over emotions. We can have amazing energy. 
I honestly believe we can have divine energy. I believe what God called us to do is be energetic people. What God wants us to do, laziness will not accomplish. I don't think apathy has a place in the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because our calling is sure. Uh, God is good. There's much to be done. And I believe we can have supernatural energy to push past discouragement, to push past tiredness, to go, I want to love somebody. I want to love my God and love some people. I believe in supernatural energy. I believe in drastic forgiveness. Doesn't make sense. Well, I know they'll say sorry if I say, no, drastic forgiveness. I believe that's supernatural. I believe in contagious hope. Oh, Easter is coming, and our theme for Easter is hope because our city is dying for someone to give them hope. Hope is the biggest drug in the city, and I want to be a dealer of hope in our city. On every corner, in every school, in every restaurant, go, hey, I got something for you. It's hope, and the first one is always free. The second one is always free. Why? Because Jesus did it all. Hope, contagious hope. Did you hear? Is it true? Is it possible that God forgives us and loves us and wants to help us? Is, did you hear the, the rumor that God wants to give us power to move beyond ordinary and live a life of more than just surviving but thriving? Did you hear that you can be forgiven for your past, that God is good, and that your present can be redeemed and your future can make sense. Contagious hope. Some of you here need some hope in your life. I see your posts on social media. I see your faces. Even in my own heart, I struggle sometimes. I believe the hope of Jesus Christ is contagious. When you understand it's supernatural, it's not in my degree or my LinkedIn account or my bank account. It's in what God's done. He's erased my sin account and I have hope today. Why? It's contagious hope. There's power today. A life of faith is the opposite of weakness. Somehow the church has that picture, don't we? Of just this really weak, nice, kind, gentle people. Meekness and weakness are not the same thing. Meekness is power and perfect control. A life of faith is the opposite of weakness. I think that people should look at the church and go, they're really nice, but man, they're powerful. When they set their mind and heart to love on someone, they love someone. When they want to change the city for the better, they turn it right side up. They love our government. They help all people groups. They, when they lean in, schools get better, communities get better, businesses get better, marriages get better. I believe that today. Some of you need to believe that today. I believe a life of faith is the opposite of weakness. People go, oh, you're going to church. Oh, you're, just, you're weak. You're leaning on God. Oh, no, no, no. A life of faith is the opposite of weakness. It's supernatural power. In Acts 4.13, it shares this passage of the story. It says this, these, this, this council was about to persecute and judge these disciples. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men, just natural men. Anybody ever feel, old, feel ordinary? Just me? Ordinary preacher, ordinary dad, ordinary husband, ordinary money, ordinary talent, ordinary past, just ordinary men. It says they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Don't miss this. It says they were amazed when they saw their boldness. And they knew because of their boldness, they must have been with Jesus. A sign we've been with Jesus is power. A sign we've been with Jesus is courage. A sign we've been with Jesus is boldness. A spirit of fear says you're not enough. A spirit of, say, a spirit of fear says you're not smart enough. A spirit of fear says you are not enough, but the spirit of God says he is enough. Spirit of God says together you're supernatural. I want to encourage you today. It's all about the inside. The last thing it says about the spirit of God, what he's given us is it's a sound mind. That word, that root word actually means self-control or self-discipline. Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? 
We want people to fix it for us. We, we need help with what we eat, what we watch. We need help with how we spend it. We need to see people. We're getting more and more systems. Why? Because it seems like we're lacking more and more self-control all the time. I just couldn't control myself. I couldn't, couldn't control my, What's your plea case? I couldn't control myself. Why are you in this place? I couldn't control myself. I just can't help myself. And I, I believe there's something available with the Spirit of God that gives us a sound mind or self-control. Notice it doesn't say divine control. It says self-control. When the Spirit of God comes in you and you take courage and you take his Spirit, I believe he helps us make right choices. The state referred to here is that the mind is well-balanced and under the right influence. We have people under the influence of fear and of depression. But I believe there's something available, and I believe in doctors and medicine. I believe in help in all ways. I do. I believe in it. But I also do believe that when we have the Spirit of God, it puts us under the right influence. I believe sobriety is a gift of the Spirit. Nancy says sobriety is our superpower. I believe you can be sober in your mind, going, I'm thinking clear, I'm feeling clear. I'm making decisions not on fear, not on lust, not on, not on uh, deception, not on disappointment. I'm thinking clear. I believe the power of God in your life, the Spirit of God will think in such a way, thinking I'm making a clear decision for my family, for my, not based out of trying to compete with the next door neighbors, not trying to deal, make up for a lack of something in your life. I believe we can have a sobriety of thought. The spirit of fear, Says you're mentally, you, says you're not mentally prepared. It says you can't make it. Spirit of fear says you're overwhelmed. Spirit of fear says you ain't gonna make it. But the spirit of God says you're stable, you're secure, and you're steady. The disciples, as the worship team comes back, the disciples, we're gonna worship today for a few minutes. As the worship team comes, I'm reminded the disciples were paralyzed and they were stuck. Some of you feel stuck today in your life. Maybe it's in your mental health. Maybe it's in your Maybe it's in your relationships. Maybe it's in things you know you're supposed to be putting your hand to to work on your purpose, but you feel stuck. The disciples were stuck. It says their eyes were on the waves around them instead of the God walking towards them. But Peter looked up. Peter raised his head beyond his situation and put his head up. He got his head up. His head was up and he saw the God working, walking towards him instead of the waves around him and something started to change. He got his head up. Listen, I freeze when I don't look up. When I got my head buried in my bills and my disappointments and text messages that just put me into a spin, when I get my head down into my problems and my circumstances, I start to freeze up in fear going, this ain't gonna work. I can't do this. But when I get my head up, and look at who God is and what he has for me and let him lead me, something starts to change. Courage comes from looking up. They looked up, Peter looked up, and Jesus said, take courage today. Oh, I wanna challenge you today, get your head up. Get your heads up, get your hopes up, get your head up today, and look at God coming towards you today, saying, take courage today. Yes, you are enough. You might have blown it, but I'm more than enough for that. You might go, I don't know if I can make it. What about my relationship? What about my job? What about my future? What about my dreams? I don't know what to do. I'm frozen in fear. And God says, no, no, get, get, get your head up today. Get your head up today. Take courage. Take courage today. Get your head up today. He's given us courage. For these next few minutes, as the worship team leads us, all over this place, can we stand to our feet? kids, moms and dads, young adults, grandparents. Here's what I want to invite you to do today in these next few minutes is to get your head up. This is probably the most important part of the service right now because now we get to work not on the symptoms, but we get to work on the problem. 
Sometimes in my life, I'm full of a spirit of fear or maybe it's a, a spirit of regret. And here's one, a spirit of disappointment. They didn't react the way I thought they would. That didn't go the way I thought it would. And right now, as we get our head up, we want to invite God to enter your story right now and fill you with his spirit of love for him and for others. A spirit that says, lean in, don't push away. A spirit of power that says, you're more than enough. You have what it takes. Supernatural hope, supernatural forgiveness, supernatural dreams, super God, natural you together. You're ordinary, but they'll know that you've been with God because of your courage. Oh, and then a sound mind, self-control. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't stop doing that. I couldn't control what I said. I react to every situation. No, that spirit of God help you live with sobriety of mind, sobriety of emotions, making right choices that lead to a right future, to help leave a right legacy for those behind us. Let the spirit of God even now fill us as we worship, amen? Come on, let's worship together and invite God to fill us with his spirit.